Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. And oh yes. It's gonna be good. So come on in the room. It's been a minute. It has been an absolute minute. I know we haven't had Therapy Thursday in what, like two weeks? I'm so thankful and I'm so excited to see everybody. And I hope that you are ready for what God has for you on tonight's biblical, therapeutic, evolutionary, intentional growth is the atmosphere and the climate that I desire and that I also believe the Holy Spirit desires for us to produce each and every time we come together. Rather, the vessel is myself or the vessel is Isaac. I'm just a vessel, nothing special. Come on in the room, tag somebody, let somebody know it is time. We are on for Therapy Thursday, and tonight some chains are going to break. Some people are going to be set free, and my prayer is that by the time this session is over, you will learn how to be more gracious to yourself, more tender to yourself, more kind to yourself. And I'm just excited for what God is going to do for the time that we have together on this afternoon. As usual, I know that this is virtual, but I want it to feel like it's personal. So if you would, could you just tag somebody in the room? I'm proud of you. Whoever it is, look down the chat. I'm proud of you. I see you, bro. You showed up for therapy. I'm proud of you. I see you, sis. You showed up for therapy. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. You'll be surprised how much a I'm proud of you can do for somebody who has been going through in the dark. So yes, I'm proud of you. And myself, I am personally proud of you for making the, the effort and you being intentional to join me for Therapy Thursday on tonight. So I believe it's going to be good. I want to kind of get straight to work because there's a lot I want to share with you. I don't want to be long, but I do want to give you um, life-altering epiphanies and also ju just content that will help you as you become. So I want to pick up on what I was talking about on Sunday. There's this passage of scripture, seven words in Genesis chapter 1, verse 18, that has been, it like changed everything for my life, and I believe it could do the same for you. And if you watch the finale of our Destiny Decision series, you already know what those seven words are. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 18, and those seven words are, and God saw that it was good and God saw that it was good the reason this is so profound and the reason this is so good and the reason this has increased my patience with myself is because it showed me a methodology of God as God was building the earth whatever he completed on day one whatever he finished on day two he wasn't done but he was able to see that it was still good so you're in process, but you're still good. You're incomplete, but you're still good. You haven't got mature all the way yet, but you're still good. We still are trying to process out that petty, but you're still good. You still have a little clapback, especially that pre-planned clapback that I'm trying to filter out, but you're still good. I'm able to see the good in the process. And I articulated that God, he didn't need to take days to build the universe. He could have just spoken. Let there be earth. Instantly, there's earth. He could have thought it, but he is showing us his methodology of how he builds. He builds in phases. And at each and every phase, he's able to see 
the good. He's able to see the good. And here's a curveball for you. When we are not able to see the good in things that are incomplete, when we do not know how to appreciate that which is unfinished, it is a setup for us to use people. Oh, it is a setup for us to use people because when we are intentionally looking for places, spaces, and people that are purposeful, we'll end up looking for construction workers. Because I am not content and because I cannot see the good in that which is unfinished, I'm looking for construction workers. Who could fix this? Like, who could I date that could fix my loneliness? Ooh, could it be possible your type is construction workers? Who could fix and build my loneliness out of my life? Like, like who could I hook up with that can eradicate my poverty? What church or ministry, ooh, we going here? What church or ministry can I join that can grow my platform? Not my spiritual maturity. Not my biblical intelligence. Like what minister, what pastor has a platform that I could possibly grow off of? Because it's not about, it's not about purposeful. It's about finding a construction worker. And when we have this mentality, we risk sabotaging God's sent relationships because we do not know how to see the good in that which is unfinished. This is why I was hyper-focused. I was hyper-focused on Sunday trying to get us to understand that one of the greatest gifts God has given us, one of like the greatest assets God has given us is our time. You can't get a year back. You can't get a week back. You can't get a month back. One of your greatest commodities is the asset of your time. And what I was trying to get us to understand is when you know what you're supposed to do in time with your time, it will reveal confused lovers. It's about to be good, y'all. Tag somebody. Tell them to come in the room. When you are able to understand and know what you're supposed to do with your time while you're in time, it will reveal confused lovers. What is that? These are people who really think they love you, like they do. They're not trying to hurt you. They genuinely think that they love you, but they're confused with the fact they only love what they can get from you. They're confused lovers. They will tell you they love you and they genuinely believe that they love you, but they only love what they can get from you. So when you make a decision with your time, there it is, when you make a decision with your time and you're making a choice that is in the best interest of your mental health, best interest of your peace, of your peace, the best interest for your spiritual evolution, how they respond and how they react to that decision that you made that's in the best interest for yourself will reveal organic lovers from confused lovers. Because those who genuinely and organically love you when you make decisions that are in the best interest of your healing I love when you do that when you make decisions that are in the best interest of your mental health I love when you do that when you make decisions that are in the best interest of your spiritual growth and you growing in Christ I love when you do that but those who are confused lovers can't stand when you make a decision that benefits you 
but it doesn't benefit them. See? See? And when I know what I'm supposed to do with my time, it will increase the frequency of my no. Because in life, you will get a lot of requests. But when I know what I'm supposed to do with my time, I'll tell you no, I'll tell you no. Not trying to be mean, it's just because this is labeled as a time waster because I know what I'm supposed to do with my time. And how they respond and react to your no. How they respond and react to your no will reveal if this is somebody who organically loves me or if this is somebody who is a confused lover. They think that they love me, but they only love what the relationship does for them. I tried to get us to understand. I tried to get us to understand one of the subtle tactics of the enemy on how he gets us to waste time is by getting us in cycles. And the reason I was so passionate about it is because I believe I'm talking to cycle breakers. I believe I'm talking to the one that is going to shift something in their bloodline. See, listen, you have to understand, if you are a cycle breaker, it might cause for a season of your life for you to be alone. When you are a cycle breaker, you will get a lot of backlash. When you are a cycle breaker, you will get misunderstood. But I want us to get to this place. Don't sabotage your future peace because familiar chaos is comfortable. You're a cycle breaker. You're a cycle breaker. Like it, it's going to be your testimony, but it's going to be their syllabus. See, it, it's going to be your testimony, but it's going to be their curriculum. It, it's going to be your testimony, but it's going to be their test book. It, it, it's going to be your testimony, but it's going to give you revenue. <laughs> See, listen, y'all. God is so cold. God is so awesome where he could orchestrate events to where you are now getting paid for what you went through. You are now getting paid for what you went through. Like you wrote it down in a book, how you survived that heartbreak, how you overcame that trauma, and it could become a New York bestseller. That wasn't your goal, that wasn't your focus, but God knows how to orchestrate things so much so where I could transition the trauma into triumph. I can give you Bible all day. Bible all day. Pharaoh told all of the midwives, if it's a boy, kill him. One of the main blueprint strategies of hell to kill the man. He said, all male babies, kill him. And when Moses' mother could not hide Moses anymore, she put him in a basket and he started to drift down the Nile. Now Pharaoh's daughter discovered Moses and said, this is such a beautiful baby. We have to nurse him. And they ended up getting Moses' mama to nurse her own son and paid her. So now she's getting paid to do what she would have done for free. <laughs> Read your Bible, I promise the Bible's good, it's good. Like, I'm paying you Moses, I'm paying you Moses' mom to nurse your own son and you would have done that for free. Because God knows how to orchestrate events to where what you have gone through, people will pay you to tell them, how did you do that? keynote speaker podcast opportunities because God will always get the glory out of your faithfulness to him in the midst of your story. This is so good y'all and I've discovered sometimes adulthood is just us discovering that our childhood experiences came from mentally unstable people. <laughs> it took for me to become an adult 
to discover what mama did, daddy did, that, that was like mentally unhealthy. And now I have the opportunity to change that so that the cycle stops with me. Can I get somebody to put in the room, it stops with me. It stops with me. But there's that conjunction. But there is this boulder that's getting in the way of us experiencing organic joy. There is this joy tranquilizer, if you will, that's getting in the way of us experiencing real joy. There is this blockade that's getting in the way of us experiencing joy, and I want to reveal it to you. It is causing for us to not enjoy seasons and processes. I want us to see this from this passage of scripture. I do not have time to exegete all of it. I will exegete all of it on Sunday for part one of our new series, Exit Strategies. But I want to bring this scripture to your attention. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin. I'm really going to park on the sin aspect on Sunday. But on tonight for this particular therapy session, I want to park on the weight. This passage of scripture is letting us know there is a race that is set before you. There is a race that is set before you that you are supposed to run. But what is limiting and what is affecting our ability to run is weights and sin. The sin it's not a weight, but that weight can lead to sin. Lay aside every weight and the weight that is getting in the way of our joy, the weight that is causing for a lot of us to have anxiety, the weight that is, that's causing a lot of us to have insomnia, the weight that is causing for a lot of us to be barren with our gifts is the weight of being too hard on yourself. It's coming, y'all. All of that to get to this point. There is a weight that is getting in the way of us enjoying seasons, of us enjoying the process, of us enjoying the surgery. And that weight is the weight of being too hard on yourself. Nobody would be your friend if you talk to them the way you talk to you, unrealistic expectations that we are placing on ourselves, the bondage of perfectionism, it is the weight of being too hard on yourself. And let's, let's just create an atmosphere of vulnerability and transparency. I am right here with you. Is there anybody watching this where you are honest enough to admit I am too hard on myself. Hand raise emoji, that's me. You calling me out, why you always reading my mail. I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. I am too hard on myself, just hand raise emoji. And I'm so hard on myself that it causes for me to not enjoy creating 
I'm so hard on myself where it causes me to not enjoy obedience. I'm so hard on myself where it causes for me to not enjoy my job. I'm so hard on myself where it causes for me to not enjoy my family. I can't even enjoy vacations because I have this cadence and this pattern of keeping this weight on me of being too hard on myself. I want to talk and speak around this thought for, for just a few moments for our Therapy Thursday session on tonight. Why are you so hard on yourself? Why are you so hard on yourself? God, would you help us to understand that you are a God of love, mercy, and grace? And if I don't know how to receive your grace for myself, it's going to be hard for me to extend that same grace to others. Would you help me to be like you? Because it's God-like to see the beauty and things that still need work. It's God-like, it's kingdom-like to see the beauty and things that are still in process. Help me to understand and help me to apply grace to myself as I am becoming, as I am unlearning, as I am relearning, as I'm being sharpened, as I'm being chiseled. Grace, help us to learn grace application on ourselves, so that everybody else will experience the overflow of grace that you've given us, that I embrace, that I can give to them. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that prayer, would you put in the room Amen. Amen. Why are you so hard on yourself? And I want everybody to put this confession in the room in all caps. It has been blessing me since I have been formulating this content for this time that we have together. So simple, but so needed. This confession, I'm like, Jerry, you're going to say this every day. For the rest of this year, for the rest of 2022, you need to say this every day. Can I get everybody to put this in the room? Father, Teach me how to be gracious to myself. Help me to see the good in what's unfinished. One more time. Father, teach me how to be gracious to myself. Help me to see the good in what's unfinished. Why are you so hard on yourself? Why are you so hard on yourself why am i so hard on myself let's get to work y'all i think one of the reasons that we are so hard on ourselves is because we have allowed projected thoughts to become our meditations write that down did y'all hear what i just said one of the reasons we are so hard on ourselves is we have allowed projected thoughts become our meditations like what they think about themselves that they're projecting on me what mama thinks about herself that she's projecting on me what my ex thought about themselves that they're projected on me i have allowed projected thoughts to become my meditation so this means i'm overthinking a projected thought i'm overthinking Projected thoughts like these aren't even my thoughts we're, we're not even talking about fiery darts that the enemy has given you yet But like I am meditating and dwelling on somebody else's thought 
about me and I'm overthinking that. And we know that overthinking is a mental bully, isn't it? Like overthinking is the author that only writes horror stories. The more you overthink, the more you panic. Like overthinking causes for us to be subscribed to the channel of our own criticism and what they think about us. Overthinking, it, it, it is when I have constantly found a pattern of meditating on what others think about me. And I believe what God wants to use this session on tonight to do is to move our thought life. Move our thought life from thinking thoughts of condemnation, thinking thoughts of guilt, thinking thoughts of perfectionism, thinking thoughts of wanting it to be perfect, thinking thoughts of shame. I want to move that so that you can start thinking Philippians chapter four, verse eight type thoughts. Look at this, I wanna give you Bible. Most of us have heard this before, depending on where we are in our Christian journey. Philippians chapter four, verse eight, it says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. Meditate means to dwell on, to ponder, and to recycle. To dwell on, to ponder, and to cycle. Meditate on these things. Not meditating on their projections. Not meditating on their opinions. Not meditating on their beliefs. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That is what God is trying to move us to. I'm trying to move your overthinking to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 type thinking. Can I get somebody to put in the room, move? You got to say it like somebody's in your way and you're trying to get the last piece of chicken on the plate. Say, move, move. You got to say it like the light is green and the car in front of you still is acting like it's on red. Move, move. That is what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. He wants us to move, move. That was the purpose of the cross to move us, to move us from objects of wrath to children of the king. Move, move us. What the Holy Spirit has grace for me to share with you on tonight is to get us to move. I want my people to move. Move, move from familiar to forward. Move, move from death to life. Move, move from loss to found. Move, move from being petty to being unbothered. Move, move from rebellion to repentance. Move, God wants a moved people because that's the only way we can ever have a movement. Did y'all catch that? The only way we can have a movement is if we first become a moved people. And that transformation, that transformation has to happen in your head first your head first. Like the, the mind is the epicenter of your life because as a man thinketh, come here, y'all talk to me. As a man thinketh, so is he. It's the epicenter of your life. The way you think, 
the way you process content, intel, and information, the way you respond to information, the way they think. What consumes your thoughts? What do you dwell on? What do you meditate on? What do you constantly rehearse? It's, it's, it's the mindset. Our life is constructed by how we think and our life moves in the direction of our most dominant thought. It happens here, head first. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It happens in the head first. It is our way of thinking. The mental arguments that we have with ourselves. <laughs> have you ever mentally argued with you in your head? <laughs> Like you are having an argument with yourself in your head. Have you ever had pre-planned clapbacks in your head? Like you're ready when you see them because you already have your clapbacks loaded? Your head. The way you process content, intel, information. And this is why many of us are frustrated. This is why many of us are physically drained and we are infected with emotional and mental influenza. It's because I've allowed projected thoughts to become my meditations. And the reason I'm so hard on me is because I'm meditating on what they said about me. We have to understand this, y'all. Thoughts are seeds. Thoughts are seeds and the mind is soil. This is why we have to be careful with who we are leasing our ear to. Talk. We have to be careful with who we are leasing our ear to because by default, they will become a gardener. Did y'all hear me? Thoughts are seeds and the mind is soil. Whoever you are leasing your ear to, you are giving them permission to be a gardener. Soil is neutral. The soil outside of this studio right now does not care if I plant an apple seed, a grass seed, a watermelon seed. It does not care because the job of soil is to provide room and board for a seed and push the identity of that seed out. So when we allow conversations to constantly flood our ear, it is seeds that are being planted in our minds. And this is why many of us, we think we're under attack, but you're actually under a thought. Projected thoughts that we have allowed to become our meditations. So the first defense, the first defense on how I not, on how we don't allow what they think about us to become what we think about ourselves is by having core beliefs. Simple. I've said it so many times, I'm going to break it down deeper. My core belief is I am the head and not the tail. That is what I believe in my core. My core belief is I'm not what I have done. That has been forgiven. I am blood covered. When God sees me, he does not see me by my failures, my mistakes. It is as far as the east is from the west. It has been separated. I am forgiven. That is my core belief. Notice this. Notice when Satan was trying to provide Jesus with another thought. If you are the son of God, challenging his identity. If you are the son of God, turn these stones 
into bread. What is he doing? I'm challenging your identity by providing you with another thought that will cause for you to question yourself. And I'm trying to use the fact that you're hungry in an area to get you to make a choice prematurely. I'm trying to get you to pervert your power. I'm doing this because I'm trying to give you a thought to see if you will meditate on that thought. How did Jesus respond? It is written. Core belief. Jesus is showing us how to fight. I think this is why before like Jesus ministry really kicked off after he got baptized, got affirmed by the father. This is my beloved son in him. I'm well pleased. He was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. I believe it was on purpose to show us how you fight thoughts that aren't yours is by having core beliefs. That is what Jesus kept on saying. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. This is what I choose to believe. See, I want us to have core beliefs so you can admire somebody else's beauty without questioning yours. Ugh. I want us to have core beliefs so we can admire somebody else's ministry without questioning what is God going to do for you. Tough. I want us to have core beliefs so we can admire somebody else's business without resenting yours. I want us to have core beliefs so that you can experience someone without getting, without getting lost in them. So many of us have lost ourselves in people and places. But when we have core beliefs, I recognize that there is a it is written belief that I have in my heart. So no matter what they do, no matter what they say, yes, it may bother me. It could even hurt me, but it's not going to cause for me to shift how I view me. Core beliefs. Core beliefs. This is a game changer, y'all. The reason we're so bothered by other people's thoughts about us, about us is because we don't have a, it is written. <laughs> the reason you doubt yourself so much is because I don't have a, it is written to help me combat that. The first offense of not allowing what they think to become what you think is by having core beliefs. So many of us have so many battle scars and if we be honest, if somebody were to ask us who caused them, we would have to say, I did. I'm battling me. I am battling me. Why are you so hard on yourselves? Point number one, we're so hard on ourselves because I told you, we've allowed projected thoughts to become our meditations. That's not even your thought. You didn't even have that thought until you had that conversation. You didn't even have those thoughts until you dated them. You didn't even have those thoughts until you went to that community. Projected thoughts have become our meditations. Number two, it's kind of funny. I said it, but I want to break it down. We are so hard on ourselves because we don't know how to see the good in that which is unfinished. Now, look at this. One day my wife was cooking some chicken, right? And the whole time, she was saying, this is going to be so good. I'm looking at the chicken. All I see is chicken. I see no seasoning. I see no butter. I see no turmeric. I see no cumin. I see no, no, no ingredients yet. She's just putting everything on the counter with the chicken in the pan. And while she's putting all of the ingredients on the counter, she's saying, this is going to be so good. I got this recipe. This is about to be so good. Now, from the outside, me looking, 
I don't know how she could even say this is going to be so good. Why? Because I don't know her recipe. I'm just sitting there waiting to consume it. <laughs> just like many of us, you are sitting there waiting for God to un unfold and unravel his plan for your life through your obedience. He has all the ingredients. He already knows what he's going to make. He's like, man, your testimony is going to be so good. Your ministry is going to be so good. Your, your marriage is going to be so good. Your singleness is going to be so good. This, this entrepreneurial pursuit that I've given her, that I've given him, it's going to be so good. But you only see raw chicken. So after a while, she begins to season this chicken and she's looking at different ingredients. She like stuffed the chicken with like spinach and like cheese. It was looking amazing. But um, as it was in the oven, I felt like she was taking a, little, uh, a long time. I'm like, chicken don't take that long to cook. So I started getting a little impatient and um, I'm going off of the smell and I'm like, okay, babe, I think it's done. It smells real good. And she says, no, it's not done yet. So I'm looking at the clock on the oven, got like seven minutes left. As soon as that thing goes, you know, I'm thinking, all right, we done. Let me grab a plate. <laughs> it's time to experience the good, right? And she grabs it and I think that she's cutting me a slice, but she's cutting in the middle. And she says, no, it's not finished. I'm like, well, 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 the timer went off. It's done. No, look, it, it, it's still raw in the middle. See, every time you have Therapy Thursday or every time you allow the word of God to cut you, I believe God shows us there, there's still bitterness in the middle. You see that? You see, th there's still a need of you trying to vindicate yourself in the middle. It's still raw right there. Let me put you back in the fire. Not, not, not to burn you, but to prepare you. Because I need to serve you to other people. You're going off of what you think. Just like me, I'm going off the clock. It's done. She says, no, it's still raw in the middle. It needs to go back in the fire. And I believe God is with many of us. You know, th th there's, still, there's still pride in the middle. I got to put this back in. I, I got to put this back in. The whole time. She was cooking this, saying, this is going to be so good. And the reason I couldn't agree with her is because I didn't know the recipe. God is the author and finisher of your faith. And when he made you, he said it's good. Why? Because he has all of the ingredients for your story. What we have to do is trust him even when he cuts us and shows us you're still raw in the middle. This is so good, y'all. I want to show you this text. I want to first read it in the New King James Version. Romans chapter 9, verse 20. And then I'm going to read the exact same passage from the Message Bible. Okay? Because a lot of us, we're so frustrated with our process because we think God is taking too long. Kind of like me. I felt like my wife was taking too long. Um, or, we feel, or we feel as though God gave us a bad hand. All right. Romans chapter 9, verse 20. It says, But indeed, O man... Who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Same passage, Message Bible, verse 20. It says, do you for one moment suppose any of us knows enough to call God into question? Clay doesn't talk back to the fingers that mold it. 
saying, why did you shape me like this? Isn't it obvious that a potter has a perfect right to shape one lump of clay into a vase for holding flowers and another into a pot for cooking beans? God is molding this. And so many times we're so hard on ourselves because we want to be the potter. We want to be like my wife, the chef. We want to prepare it. We want to be the one to pick the ingredients. God is doing this. How does it look for the clay to tell the potter you're taking too long? That's the second point. We're so hard on ourselves because we do not know how to see the good and that which is unfinished. This one right here hit me like a Mike Tyson punch. Number three, why are we so hard on ourselves? It's because we've placed our value in achievements. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. So you got the degree. You got the car. You have the career. You have the bay. You have the ministry. But you're so exhausted because your life is on a constant chase of achievements. Because you think you're more valuable once you have achieved a thing. Here's an ironic thought for you. Isn't it crazy to actually fathom the thought that what you get and what causes for you to be successful could be the very thing that's blocking you from joy? <laughs> could it be possible? And could you actually fathom that chasing achievements and being successful can be the very possession that prevents you from obtaining joy? Because I'm constantly chasing achievements. I, I'm good once I do this. Then once I get the PhD. Then, then once I get this house. Then when I get this type of car. Then once, I, then once I get this amount of money in the bank. Then once I get this platform. Then your whole life is in a chase. And so you're so hard on yourself because you never ever celebrate progress reports. You only look for report cards. That is the obtaining of the achievement. And so I'm hard on myself because my value is in what I complete. You see how all of this is connected? My value is in what I achieve. This is why in childhood, especially for men, th this could happen when the reward happens once you get straight A's. The reward happens once you graduate. The reward happens once you completed a task. And so we grow up being classically conditioned to believe my value is tied to what I achieve. So I'm hard on me because I haven't achieved that yet. I haven't finished the album, I haven't finished the book, I haven't finished school. I don't have these amount of followers yet. I don't have these amount. And so I'm never able to celebrate progress because my value, I've placed it in achievements. Number four, this is big for me. I think the reason we're so hard on ourselves is because there is a overexposure to comments. Overexposure to comments. Everybody has access to, to critique your content. Everybody. Comments. Everybody has access to critique what you post. Now, I want to tell you something real. Okay? When my wife and I were dating, we didn't tell anybody. Right? Nobody knew but our counselors, our premarital counselors, our pastors, and our parents. 
certain certain people who who labeled themselves as friends didn't even know because this was our method we want to first lay concrete see when you're laying concrete if you allow people to step on it while it's drying once it dries their imprints are left in the concrete but if you first allow it to dry everybody can step on it and it won't bother me okay this is why having your core belief is highly important because watch this if if your emotional and affirmation needs are in poverty, your criticism and their comments will feel like verdicts. Torrance, did you hear what I just said? When your emotional needs, your affirmation needs are in poverty, their comments feel like verdicts. So I'm questioning me because of a comment, because that comment feels like a verdict, but that core belief meets an emotional need. That core beliefs meets an affirmation need. I have to have those first. Gosh, if I would have known, I'm telling you, if I would have known this back in 2014 and 2013, when we first started like redefining our ministry, there are so many comments I never would have responded to because there were emotional needs that I had and I was chasing achievements while, while having emotional needs in poverty. I was chasing um, a certain possession. I got to get there. I was chasing that while having an affirmation need. So when you already have your affirmations are in poverty and somebody gives you a negative comment, you start questioning yourself because you already doubted you before they did. They were just confirmation. You already thought your material wasn't good before they did. They're just confirmation. Core belief, core belief, so that their comments won't feel like verdicts. Just an opinion, just an opinion. And I'm gonna tell you something. I've never been hated on by another oil carrier. Never. It's always the oil deprived who have so much to say. Gosh. Blessed are those who do not who do not sit in the seat of the scornful. Scornful people are always seated. Did you catch that? Blessed are those who do not sit in the seat of the scornful. Scornful people are always seated. You will never be hated on by another oil carrier. Because people who have oil mean an anointing. They know it takes work. It takes a grind, it takes a belief, it, it takes faith, it takes confidence, it takes trust, and I know what it feels like to go through that process. So while you are in the third trimester of your gift, while you are in the second trimester of your business, while you are in the first trimester of your law firm, I'm not gonna be negative and critique you because I know what that was like for me. The people who have so much to say are those who are discontent with themselves and they aren't producing as much fruit as you. Never address shade thrown from a tree with no fruit. The first defense, end with this and I wanna pray. The first defense on how we get to a place of stop being so hard on ourselves is we have to believe what is written. I can't believe the word if I don't know it. I can't believe the word if I don't read it. God is a God filled with grace and mercy.
why are you not extending that back to you? And I believe it's one of these four points. It's because I've allowed projected thoughts to be my meditations. I don't know how to see the good in things that are unfinished. I place my value in achievements, which mean, meaning I do not know how to celebrate small successes. And number four, an overexposure to comments. Everybody's comment feels like a burden. But when I have a core belief, say it backwards, when I have a core belief, I'm not phased by their comments. When I have a core belief, I know my value is not in my achievements, but it's in Christ. When I have core beliefs, I can see the good in things that are unfinished, like me. And I'm not, and I'm able to not allow projected thoughts to become my meditations. This is for everybody who struggles with that. And I believe this is just the genesis of a strategy on how we can make sure I'm not allowing what they think or even what I think about myself to become my thought life. God, would you help us digest this to be able to understand what you think about me is more important what anybody else does and even what I think about myself and give us the strength and the biblical intelligence to know how to apply grace to myself because you're the one that has the ingredients. You're the one that knows the recipe. You're the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to trust you while we're in the oven because many times they're still raw in the middle but you're still able to say, this is gonna be good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.